But if by superadded obligation be meant a further and very awful consideration, which also should have a strong influence in prompting us to the faithful discharge of his duty, in this sense the covenants undoubtedly contain an additional obligation. For besides the authority of the divine law obliging us, we by our own voluntary deed likewise bind ourselves to the conscientious performance of the same things. Those who approve of the original covenants themselves cannot consistently deny the propriety of the Arkansas renovation, which is also mentioned in this article of our terms, seeing it must be obvious to everyone who hath properly perused that deed that there is not the least substantial alteration. After omitting the designations, noblemen, gentlemen, and so on, which could not apply to them, being only a few private Christians, with one minister and a probationer, and after adding a few marginal notes accommodating them to the real circumstances in which the swearers then were, the old covenants remain as they were. There are, indeed, accompanying that renovation an enlarged acknowledgement of sins and an engagement to duties. These also were necessary in order to accommodate the solemn transaction unto the existing circumstances of the nation in which the swearers lived, as well as unto their own condition. It will not be refused that in the engagement to duties connected with the Arkansas renovation, our zealous forefathers used some remarkably strong and perhaps rather incautious expressions in declaring their resolution not to submit unto some of the public burdens which they particularly specify. But they evidently considered their submission unto these as necessarily implying a homologation of the present constitutions, civil and ecclesiastic, and on that footing refused to yield. In the leading and general principle, then, that it is inconsistent for dissenters to submit unto such things as, strictly speaking, imply an approbation of the present constitutions or a proper recognizing of the constituted authorities, they and we are perfectly agreed. But, as it is difficult to draw the exact line of distinction between these things which, in the very nature of them, abstracting from any question for conscience' sake, properly imply the recognizing of the existing power under which they are done, and those things which do not, we need not be surprised, though there be some diversity, both in opinion and practice, concerning the yielding or not yielding to some particular specified national burdens. It is abundantly obvious that all the taxations in general which our noble martyrs in the late persecution positively refused to pay were imposed avowedly for the purpose of suppressing the very cause which these martyrs were endeavoring at the hazard of their lives to maintain and not simply for the general and undefined support of the existing government. This brought the matter closely home to their conscience, as faithful witnesses for Christ and his persecuted cause. But as no taxations in our time are, as yet, 
imposed for a similar purpose, it is surely pushing the matter too far to consider the bare yielding unto them for wrath's sake as necessarily involving a contradiction to the martyr's testimony. Even these martyrs themselves, as far as we can learn, yielded to the general burdens which were not of the description above specified, and yet they openly disowned the powers which then were, swearing oaths of allegiance to the existing authorities, holding places of public trust under them, praying in the formal and unqualified manner for a blessing, prosperity, and success unto them in their official capacity as our rulers, and formally recognizing their several courts of judgment are the principal things which our testimony specifies as necessarily implying an approbation of the United Constitution and a direct acknowledgement of the existing power. But it does not view anything else in the same light as matters stand at present. So long, therefore, as we are enabled to keep ourselves free of these, and while we do not find the general national burdens demanded as any proof of our loyalty, nor for the purpose of suppressing the cause which we are endeavoring through grace to maintain, we cannot consider ourselves as convicted of inconsistency, though we be obliged to allow that those who are set over us have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle, at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. What we chiefly intend by introducing the Arkansas bond into our terms is the approbation of renewing the covenants, as it was then done, at that place, without overlooking any of the Reformation attainments, either in church or state, and by giving a faithful testimony against all the defections and prevailing sins in both. But we do not reckon ourselves responsible for every unwary expression which our forefathers have used. On Article 5 In the fifth article of our terms, we require an owning of the scriptural testimonies and earnest contendings of Christ's faithful witnesses, and especially of our own judicial act and testimony, stating and vindicating the various Reformation attainments of these lands in which we dwell. In the instructive visions of the Revelation, we find the faithful martyrs of Jesus represented him as slain, not only for the word of God, but also for the testimony which they held. Revelation 6.9 If, therefore, we mean to sustain the honorable character of public witnesses for Christ and his cause, and to be followers of them who, through faith and patience, are now inheriting the promises, it seems to be highly requisite that we should exhibit an impartial testimony in defense of all the precious Reformation attainments and in opposition to all the departures therefrom, which have so mournfully stained our national character and provoked the Lord to plead a controversy against us. Meanwhile, in exhibiting our testimony, we make no pretensions to infallibility or perfection. Our design, we hope, is good, but we are very sensible that human weakness and infirmity must always be discernible in our best performances. We do not assert, either with respect to our own or the other testimonies which we approve, 
that there are no incautious expressions in these compositions. Considering the time and the peculiarly trying circumstances in which the compilers of them existed, and considering that they were men of like passions with others, it would perhaps be rather unreasonable to expect so much. But if none of the precious truths stated and vindicated in these testimonies be given up, if none of the errors or immoralities which they condemn be countenanced, or, in other words, if the whole substance be conscientiously retained, we mean not to defer with those who may plead that some particular modes of expression might be altered for the better. Let it also be carefully observed here that with regard to the deeds of which we speak, we wish to be understood in the same sense as before concerning the confession of faith and the covenants. It is only after diligently perusing, pondering, and comparing these testimonies with the Word of God, and after finding them to be founded upon and agreeable unto it, that we mean to rank them among the subordinate standards of our Church. But as two or more cannot consistently walk together in Church fellowship unless they be agreed in sentiment concerning the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government of the Church, and concerning the proper way of glorifying God upon earth, we reckon it exceedingly requisite that this agreement should be properly ascertained. For that important purpose, amongst others, these testimonies seem to be very much calculated. And it is only to such of them as truly deserve the characteristic epithets of scriptural and faithful that we require the assent of our church members. If any are disposed to question the propriety of applying these designations either to our own or to the rest which we approve, we are always ready, as opportunity offers, to reason the matter with them. If we can agree, it is well. Let us strive together for the faith of the gospel and continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and worship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. If we cannot agree, we must part in peace, for we never entertained the remotest thought that these matters were to be adjusted by any other weapons than those of Scripture and reason, under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. On Article 6 The last article of our terms respects a holy and blameless conversation before men. On this we apprehend there is no need to make any remarks. Even those who seek but for the form of godliness must admit its propriety, and certainly those who seriously study to reach the life and power of true religion will at once approve of giving this qualification a place amongst the conditions of admission to sacred privileges. In the sanctuary of that divine Lord, whose name is the Holy One of Israel, who hath taught his church to sing, Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And who hath solemnly declared that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. In proposing the above terms of communion, we wish a difference to be made between persons holding, proclaiming, and propagating sentiments in religion, opposite to those which are recognized by our terms and persons who may be comparatively ignorant or have private views of their own, 
but are willing to be farther instructed. The former must be positively debarred from church fellowship, whereas milder treatment is due to the latter. Jude 22 and 23, Romans 14, 1. Let it also be remembered that there is a material difference between church communion, properly so called, and private occasional communion, with those who may agree in the great essentials of salvation through a crucified Savior. Church communion among the professing members of Christ's mystical body we consider as lying chiefly in their conscientiously walking together and enjoying mutual comfort in the regular observation of all public gospel ordinances in general and joint participation of the solemn seals of the new covenant, in particular as they are dispensed by the ministers of religion who are vested with office according to the laws of Christ. This necessarily requires unanimity in all those things which belong to the constitution of the church in her organized capacity, such as doctrines to be believed, a certain mode of worship to be observed, a form of government to be exercised, and discipline to be administered. As it doth not appear that the church in her complete and organized capacity can exist without any of these articles, so neither is it easy to conceive how persons holding jarring sentiments on these important subjects can consistently enjoy church fellowship with each other. Private Christian communion we apprehend consists in the joint discharge of those religious duties which are not peculiar to official characters as such, but are common to them and all Christians at large in their individual capacity. Of this kind, we may reckon reading the scriptures, religious conversation as opportunity offers in the course of providence, occasional prayer with the sick when desired, praising God in the family when providentially lodged together, joint craving of heaven's blessing on the provision of our table and such like. From private and occasional communion with Christians of other denominations in things like these, we never thought of debarring our people, though we cannot help being of opinion that church fellowship should ever be regulated by some such scriptural terms as those which we have endeavored to exhibit and explain. Upon the whole, after taking a review of our principles as founded upon the Word of God and summarily comprehended in the subordinate standards of the Church, we are still persuaded that it is our duty to stand upon the same footing on which we have always hitherto stood, as a distinct body of professing Christians, endeavoring to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Amidst all the revolutions in sentiment, whereby the present age is distinguished, we can find no reason for considering our avowed principles in any other light than that which we have ever viewed them. Notwithstanding for the satisfaction of those who have repeatedly desired some farther information, we have exhibited the above explanation and defense. It is humbly apprehended that no greater concessions or allowances than those which we have made can be reasonably expected of men, professing, as we do, to adhere unto the whole of our covenanted reformation, both in church and state.
it only remains that we all unanimously and seriously supplicate the throne of God for grace to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor shall not be in vain in the Lord. The End The Solemn League and Covenant The Solemn League and Covenant for Reformation and Defense of Religion, the Honor and Happiness of the King, and the Peace and Safety of the Three Kingdoms of Scotland, England, and Ireland, agreed upon by Commissioners from the Parliament and Assembly of the Vines in England, with Commissioners of the Convention of the States and General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, approved by the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, and by both Houses of Parliament and the Assembly of Divines in England, and taken and subscribed by them Anno 1643, and thereafter by the said authority, taken and subscribed by all ranks in Scotland and England the same year, and ratified by Act of the Parliament of Scotland Anno 1644, and again renewed in Scotland with an acknowledgement of sins and engagements to duties, by all ranks, Anno 1648, and by Parliament, 1649, and taken and subscribed by King Charles II at Spey, June 23, 1650, and at Schoon, January 1, 1651. We noblemen, barons, knights, gentlemen, citizens, burgesses, ministers of the gospel, and commons of all sorts, in the kingdoms of Scotland, England, and Ireland, by the providence of God, living under one king, and being of one reformed religion, having before our eyes the glory of God, and the advancement of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the honor and happiness of the king's majesty, and his posterity, and the true public liberty, safety, and peace of the kingdom, wherein everyone's private condition is included and calling to mind the treacherous and bloody plots, conspiracies, attempts, and practices of the enemies of God against the true religion and professors thereof in all places, especially in these three kingdoms ever since the reformation of religion, and how much their rage, power, and presumption are of late and at this time increased and exercised, whereof the deplorable state of the Church and Kingdom of Ireland, the distressed state of the Church and Kingdom of England, and the dangerous state of the Church and Kingdom of Scotland, are present and public testimonies. We have now at last, after other means of supplication, remonstrance, protestation and sufferings, for the preservation of ourselves and our religion from utter ruin and destruction, according to the commendable practice of these kingdoms in former times and the example of God's people and other nations, after mature deliberation, resolved and determined to enter into a mutual and solemn league and covenant, wherein we all subscribe, and each one of us for himself, with our hands lifted up to the Most High God, do swear. 1 that we shall sincerely, really, and constantly, through the grace of God, endeavor in our several places and callings the preservation of the Reformed religion in the Church of Scotland in doctrine, worship, discipline, and government against our common enemies. 
the reformation of religion in the kingdoms of England and Ireland in doctrine, worship, discipline, and government, according to the word of God and the example of the best reformed churches, and shall endeavor to bring the churches of God in the three kingdoms to the nearest conjunction and uniformity in religion, confession of faith, form of church government, directory for worship and catechizing, that we and our posterity after us may, as brethren, live in faith and love, and the Lord may delight to dwell in the midst of us. 2. That we shall in like manner, without respect of persons, endeavor the extirpation of popery, prelacy, that is, church government by archbishops, bishops, their chancellors and commissioners, deans, deans and chapters, archdeacons, and all other ecclesiastical officers depending on that hierarchy. Superstition, heresy, schism, profaneness, and whatsoever shall be found contrary to sound doctrine and the power of godliness, lest we partake in other men's sins, and thereby be in danger to receive of their plagues, and that the Lord may be one and his name one in the three kingdoms. 3. We shall with the same sincerity, realty, and constancy in our several vocations endeavor with our estates and lives mutually to preserve the rights and privileges of the parliaments and the liberties of the kingdoms and to preserve and defend the king's majesty's person and authority in the preservation and defense of the true religion and liberties of the kingdoms that the world may bear witness with our consciences of our loyalty and that we have no other thoughts or intentions to diminish His Majesty's just power and greatness. 4. We shall also, with all faithfulness, endeavor the discovery of all such as have been or shall be incendiaries, malignants, or evil instruments, be hindering the reformation of religion, dividing the king from his people, or one of the kingdoms from another, or making any faction or parties among the people, contrary to this league and covenant, that they may be brought to public trial and receive condign punishment as the degree of their offenses shall require or deserve, or the supreme judicatories of both kingdoms respectively, or others having power from them for that effect shall judge convenient. 5. And whereas the happiness of a blessed peace between these kingdoms denied in former times to our progenitors, is by the good providence of God granted unto us, and hath been lightly concluded and settled by both parliaments. We shall, each one of us, according to our place and interest, endeavor that they may remain conjoined in a firm peace and union to all posterity, and that justice may be done upon the willful opposers thereof, in manner expressed in the precedent article. 6. We shall also, according to our places and callings in this common cause of religion, liberty, and peace of the kingdoms, assist and defend all those that enter into this league and covenant, in the maintaining and pursuing thereof, and shall not suffer ourselves, directly or indirectly, by whatsoever combination, persuasion, or terror, to be divided or withdrawn from this blessed union and conjunction whether to make defection to the contrary part 
or to give ourselves to a detestable indifferency or neutrality in this cause, which so much concerneth the glory of God, the good of the kingdom, and the honor of the king. But shall all the days of our lives zealously and constantly continue therein against all opposition, and promote the same according to our power, against all lets and impediments whatsoever, and what we are not able ourselves to suppress or overcome, we shall reveal and make known, that it may be timely prevented or removed, all which we shall do as in the sight of God. And because these kingdoms are guilty of many sins and provocations against God and His Son Jesus Christ, as is too manifest by our present distresses and dangers the fruits thereof, we profess and declare before God and the world our unfeigned desire to be humbled for our own sins and for the sins of these kingdoms, especially that we have not, as we ought, valued the inestimable benefit of the gospel, that we have not labored for the purity and power thereof, and that we have not endeavored to receive Christ in our hearts, not to walk worthy of him in our lives, which are the causes of other sins and transgressions, so much abounding amongst us, and our true and unfeigned purpose, desire, and endeavor for ourselves and all others under our power and charge, both in public and private, in all duties we owe to God and man to amend our lives and each other to go before another in the example of a real reformation that the Lord may turn away his wrath and heavy indignation and establish these churches and kingdoms in truth and peace. And this covenant we make in the presence of Almighty God, the searcher of all hearts, with a true intention to perform the same, as we shall answer at that great day, when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed. Most humbly beseeching the Lord to strengthen us by his Holy Spirit for this end, and to bless our desires and proceedings with such success as may be deliverance and safety to his people, and encouragement to other Christian churches, groaning under or in danger of the yoke of anti-Christian tyranny, to join in the same or like association and covenant, to the glory of God, the enlargement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and the peace and tranquility of Christian kingdoms and commonwealths. The end. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at area code 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog.